Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... Nobody knows what a mess you are like He knows. And you can bring your mess to Him. Here's a wonderful thing. The blood of Jesus is enough to wash away your mess. The blood of Christ is enough to wash away your sin, to cleanse you of your mess. The Spirit of God is enough to empower you to not live in that mess anymore. Everything you need is wrapped up in a relationship with Jesus Christ, but in a real relationship with Jesus, where you turn from sin and you turn to Him, and He becomes the Lord of your life. As Christians, it's easy to put our energy into the wrong things. When we feel comfortable with our own relationship in Christ, oftentimes we turn to judging others. Today, Pastor Bill illustrates that you need to leave the judging to God. It's not your duty to decide if a fellow believer is faking it or not. Instead of investing in being a judge, put your time into helping fellow believers flourish. When you're standing at the feet of Jesus is when you'll be judged for what you've done. Let God be the divine ruler that He is and be His hands and feet to the world. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation, chapter 14. As he continues his message, Harvest Time. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so here we have this parable that Jesus uses and the, the seed is sown into the world. The, the, but the wheat and the tear grow up together. And he says, don't, don't uproot them at the same time. So know this, Christian, that right alongside believers are non-believers. God says in the church right next to each other. I mean, they're identical. If you look at wheat and tear, you really can't tell the difference until from, from early on. You have to wait until they grow big. But if you wait till they grow big and try to uproot the tear or, or take out the tear, Jesus says you, you also, you might mess up and, and take out some of the, the, you know, some of the wheat. So leave it alone. I'll do the judgment. There's a couple of messages in that for us. Sometimes believers, we try to do the uprooting and the separating now. Early, God said, no, no, that's not your job. Don't you worry about that. Let the fakers be fake. You just make sure you're not one of them. What we want to do, we don't want to we don't want to make it our job in the church to be trying to discern who's real and who's not. It's not your job. What you want to do is look in the mirror of the word of God and make sure you are not a tear, that you are sincere. What mark the tear? You who practice lawlessness. These are people that have not repented. They are living in habitual rebellion to God, though they attend church. Same thing we see in Matthew 7 with that group, right? What identified the group that thought they were going to heaven but weren't? They were serving in the church, prophesying, casting out demons, doing many wonders, but it was you who practiced lawlessness. Here's a word to someone listening today. Don't add Christian service to your rebellious, sinful life. It's not how it goes. Uh, some people, maybe it, make, maybe it makes you feel better about the sin that you're doing. Maybe it makes you not feel so bad. Don't do this. Don't add Christian service to a wretched, sinful, wicked life, because in the end, you might deceive yourself. Your service might deceive you into thinking that you're OK with the Lord when God would say you got clear verses in Scripture that show you can serve your tail off and still not be born again. Have you repented and turned to Christ? And maybe someone's listening to this and they say, man, that's me. I, I do do stuff. I do. It makes me feel better about myself, but I have not repented. I, I would call you to repent today. 
then serve God. Turn from your sin, repent of your sin, receive forgiveness from Jesus for your sins and then serve God with everything that you have. But don't just add Christian service to a rebellious life. I remember when I was a kid, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I grew up with a mom that was uh, my mom was agreeable to Christianity and would have claimed to be Christian when I was a kid. And, and there were times when my mom would say, you know, we had a lot of bad things going on. And I remember there'd be times when my mom would say, I want all of us to go to church. And, you know, we, we, you know, maybe in my lifetime as a kid, maybe five times, you know, we went to church and we would leave. And that would be the sentiment. Like, I feel so much better now. I went to, I went to church. I feel better. Um, and I just want to challenge you not to treat church like that. That we wouldn't treat church like something we do to go feel better, service, something we do to feel better, giving, something we do to feel better. You want to actually be better. And in order to be better, you got to turn from sin and turn to the Lord. And so, but back to our parable, there came the time of reaping. God said, it's going to happen at the end of the age. I'm going to be the one that does it and I'll separate the wheat and the tares. I'll make the difference. I'll, I'll, I'll identify that which is legitimate and that which is not legitimate at the end. And it'll be permanent at that point. Uh, right. A tear can't say, wait, 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 I want to be a wheat now. No, you bundled up to be burned. It's over with. Also, for those that are, you know, there are people today that are kind of, you know, wanting to suggest that hell is not a real thing. That why would a God of love? I don't think God would torment people. It's all through the Bible. We just we read it. We're reading in a revelation. We just read it in Matthew. What do you suggest? Why would they be weeping and gnashing of teeth? Think about that. I'm a grown man. Right. I've experienced pain over the course of my life. I said, ow, you know, I don't, I've never felt pain so bad that I was gnashing, that I was going, I've never been there before. Maybe you have. God bless you. I've never been there before. But he says that that's what it's going to be like for them. And it's forever. Think about that. Like God's judgment is not a joke, especially because you've had opportunity to escape it. And so, um, so back to Revelation chapter 14. Um, that parable just as a reminder that God's going to be the one that does the separating and there will be a time uh, of, of harvest. There will be a time when there's a reckoning uh, and a separating. And again, it's going to be a wonderful day or a horrible day, all depending on what you have done with Jesus. Imagine that you're a believer. Imagine that you're someone that have, have received Christ's forgiveness for your sins and you believe he rose from the grave and, and the harvest time comes and, and it's time for judgment, it's time for separation and you're separated from this life to be with the Lord. Imagine that, because that's going to be reality for the believer. No suffering, no sorrow, no pain, no weeping and wailing, no gnashing of teeth, no bills, no trauma, you know, peace. I mean, all the things the Bible says about heaven, there'll be fullness of joy at his right hand or pleasures forevermore. No sorrow, no pain, no suffering forever and ever and ever. That's the reality for the man, the woman that is forgiven of their sins, that is in Christ. And so, again, if you're in Christ, you have hope. You have a great hope. Um, but if you are not in Christ, then you need to consider what you're doing. Why are you? Why? Why would you waste another? Don't waste this opportunity today to find yourself in Christ. You need what he's offering. I need we need you need to be forgiven. And so we, we need to we need to ask him. We need to reach out. We need to we need to confess. We need to receive him by faith that we might be forgiven of our sins. Moving on now, look at verse 17. It says, then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And so 
We see God making use of the angels. Angels, just a reminder, these are God's ministering spirits. God used angels to send messages. God used angels to fight, uh, you know, to fight battles in the spirit realm. Um, angels are created beings and those that belong with the Lord are fighting with those that are running with the devil, but they, they're, they're, they're God's ministering spirits and God uses angels for many things in scripture. Um, one of the things that they, they do, they, they protect us. We don't even know all the protection that we've received from angels. There are things that are happening in an unseen realm that we're just unaware of. But here, God is, is just is sending them out one by one to go do or they're, or they're coming uh, and, 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 and receiving orders or direction from the Lord or they're coming back to report things to the Lord. And so uh, verse 18, another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. So this angel who has power over fire, this is why that's important, because fire is one of the methods God uses to judge. And so the angel that's in charge of the fire is saying, let's get it on. He's saying, this time, God, go, go, the, 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 the grapes are fully ripe. It's their past due. It's time. And the angel's ready to do his thing. He's ready to come bring the fire. And so he's there saying, hey, thrusting your sharp sickle, gather the clusters of the vine to the earth. And so we get this imagery here of we're going to see a wine press in just a moment. But there's this vineyard and there's wine. There's there's grapes everywhere. And you got to harvest the grapes. And in a minute, we're going to see the grapes how we get wine out of the grapes um, and why you don't want to be a grape in this scenario here. So, but he says they're fully ripe. Verse 19. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. So a wine press for you that don't know, a wine press is something that you, you, you step in. You, they put all the wine in a wine press. And then uh, back in these days, they would actually step on it to press to press the grapes to smash them. And all the grape juice would flow out and they would collect it somehow. And then they would take it and make wine with it. And so here God is using this analogy to say, look, it's 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 the grapes are the, the people that are being harvested from the earth. Uh, they're going to be thrown into the wine press of the wrath of God. And so. Uh, take the same imagery of grapes, a wine press and being smashed out to the to the to the juice comes out. God is saying that's what's getting ready to happen to people in judgment. The wine press of the wrath of God. And so the, the trampling of the grapes in the process of making wine is, is used as a picture of God's crushing judgment that that goes out. And so, again, as I look at this and I consider the fact that in both analogies that we looked at, the wheat and the tear, uh, even even up to this point, you know, that there are people that have people that have lived their entire life uh, pretending some to be saved, pretending to be believers, maybe even convincing others that they were believers. And now it's harvest time. Imagine imagine that you were a good fake your whole life and then you make it to this point. And the one person that counts knows that you ain't about nothing. Right. You fool everybody on the earth into thinking something about you is true. That's not true. But but what you finally get before the Lord and he's like, I've, I've known the whole time. It's um, 
it's actually deception. It, 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 decept, that kind of deception can actually deceive yourself. Um, I saw this video and it was hilarious. It was it was very dumb, but it was hilarious. There was two guys. They put on a zebra suit. Uh, you can go on YouTube and look this up. I'm not kidding. Two guys put on a zebra suit. And the idea was they were going to run with a herd of zebras. And so they were somewhere out in the wild and there was zebras out there and the two guys, one guy's in the front standing upright with the head on. The other guy's behind him bent over like this and they, they're running out with the zebras and it looks goofy with this zebra suit on. But then lions came out. Oh, no. Yeah, for real. It happened. Lions came out. So it initially it looked like this silly video. These guys are running around the zebras and, you know, it just was like, oh, this is, this is a stupid idea. It's funny. It's, it's silly. Then the lions came out and a lion attacked them. Uh, the guy lucked up. The lion bit the head and the head came off. And, you know, the lion, they normally take a big piece and they run off with it to eat it. The lion, not knowing what it was, took the whole head piece and ran off with it. And I'm assuming that the guys got out of there alive. But um, that you can go look it up on YouTube. I, I, I'm not making this up. But my point is this. right? It was it was all fun and game to be a zebra when you were running with the zebras. But not when the lion came out. It was no longer fun and games to be. You don't want to be a zebra when lions are, are, are lurking. And so it, it, it may be for people that have played the game. It may have been great. You know, to be seen as something that you weren't, to be respected as someone that you're not. But a day will come when you will stand before the king of glory, the Lord of glory. You'll stand before the judge who knows you for what you are, who sees you as you are. I'm, this is my plea as a pastor saying, don't don't play games. Don't pretend. Why pretend to be what you could be? Right. Why pretend to be saved when you could today repent of your sins and be saved? It'd be better to be be real and be saved and be really forgiven than to fake it. I, I hate that term. I, I hear people say fake it till you make it. The problem is with most people that fake it, they never make it. You just get good at being fake. Uh, and so my, my charge to people is get good at being real. Even if it's even if you're being real makes you look bad. It'd be better to be real and look bad and be going to heaven than it would be to be fake and look good and going to hell. There were two men that stood praying and, and one of the guys, a, a publican, you know, he he uh, he knew he was a mess. He knew he was a messed up guy. And he he didn't even look up to heaven. He was humbled before the Lord. He just beat his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then a Pharisee went you know, and prayed and, you know, he prayed this long, elaborate, juicy prayer, probably used all kind of big words. And and then the guy said, which one of these guys was was heard, was was justified before God? The publican, the humble one, the one that the one that didn't even look up that just said, God, I'm a mess and I know it. Help me. Uh, and I'm telling you, God will hear that person. That person that says, God, I'm a mess because he knows you. If you're a mess, God knows you're a mess. Nobody knows what a mess you are like he knows. And you can bring your mess to him. Here's a wonderful thing. The blood of Jesus is enough to wash away your mess. The blood of Christ is enough to wash away your sin, to cleanse you of your mess. The spirit of God is enough to empower you to not live in that mess anymore. Everything you need is wrapped up in a relationship with Jesus Christ, but in a real relationship with Jesus, where you turn from sin and you turn to him and he becomes the Lord of your life. And that's my invitation to everybody watching this, that you would you would make Jesus Lord of your life. And so again, the end of verse 19, they were thrown into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And then look at verse 20. And the wine press was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the wine press up to the horses bridles. 
for 1,600 furlongs. So let me let me help us out because we don't I don't we don't we don't measure in furlongs out here. So this is essentially, I believe, an explanation of, of what we're going to see in the, in the Battle of Armageddon. This judgment, this wine press judgment, it takes place outside the city of Jerusalem, something maybe in Jehoshaphat. The carnage of this devastation of this judgment is going to be so great that blood is going to flow. Sixteen hundred furlongs is about one hundred and eighty miles. So think about 180 miles long and then as deep as a horse's bridle. So think about blood, 180 miles you know, far and then up to the horse's nose. That's imagine that many people falling under God's judgment and punishment. That blood is flowing like that. That's what's being explained here. And again, it's it's it's, it's a picture of crazy carnage. Uh, from the Battle of Armageddon, which is spoken of in Revelation 16, 16 and Revelation 19, 11 through 19, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but this is what God's judgment looks like. So for those that think, man, I don't think a God of love would judge. Read your Bible. Read your Bible, because I'm going to give you both sides of the coin and then we're going to close. God, a God of love did two things. He says, look, I, I, I know you would be flawed and I got a plan for you guys. I'm going to send my only son from heaven to earth. He's going to become the sacrifice for your sins. Jesus came from heaven to earth and he did what you and I could not do. He lived in perfection what none of us can fathom to be able to do in our life. And then he after living in perfection, he took in obedience to the father. He took your sin upon himself. He took my sin, all my sin upon himself, the sin of the world upon himself. And he paid the price. What's the price for sin? The wages of sin is what? It's death. He took it. And he went to the cross and he paid your death debt for you. He died on the cross in your place. Then he tricked the devil because after he died, he fully it was a full death. It was a real death for sin. But three days later, we know what happened. He rose from the grave in victory, conquered sin, death and Satan in the resurrection. Then he made this offer to those that would believe in him. All who would believe in him, all who would believe that he died for their sins, rose from the grave. God will for, he will receive you. He'll take your wretched, miserable, sinful life and apply it to the cross, debt paid in full. He'll take his perfect, holy, sinless life and apply it to you. It'll be applied to you. You know you're not perfect, holy, and sinless, but his perfect, holy, sinless life will be applied to you in your account. So then when you stand before God, when I stand before a holy God, one day, God is going to look at me. God's going to look at you and say, perfect, holy, sinless. He's going to see Jesus, right? He's not going to see my sin because my sin is paid for past, present, future. He's going to see the son of God. He's going to see Jesus, perfect, holy, sinless life. And God makes that available to all that would put their faith in him. He doesn't make it difficult. You, don't, you can't work for it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't give enough money for it. You can't serve hard enough for it. You got to come by faith and say, God, I believe. That's it. I believe you did that for me. And, and in response to that, I surrender here. The only right response when I understand what he did for me is that I receive that. And then I say, God, you, this life is yours. You paid for it. You paid with, with your own blood. That's what he's making available to everybody that would receive it. That's forgiveness being received by him. That's what he wants. The flip side of the coin is this. Let's say you say, ah, I don't want that. I like doing what I like to do over here. You can have it. God said, you don't have to be in relationship. With, I don't force you into relationship with me, but you're either in relationship with me or you're out. He says you're either with me or 
against me. There's no neutral ground in relationship to the Lord. If you end up over here, man, you may there may be people listening and think I'm, I'm just kind of neutral. I'm eventually going to be over here. But right now I'm just kind of hanging out over here. Understand this. I want to be careful. I want to be clear. If you're not with the Lord, then you are against the Lord. If you're not gathering with him, then you are part of scattering abroad. You are you're an adversary. You're an enemy. You've made yourself an enemy of God. He doesn't want that. He'd rather receive you as a son or a daughter. But you, if you've made yourself an enemy of God, understand that those are the only two positions with against. And if you find yourself today against the Lord, uh, I'm beckoning you. I'm reaching out to you. I'm, I'm saying, why would you be against someone that loves you like that? Why would you be against someone that's trying to save you from death and damnation and destruction for all eternity? Why would we be against him? We ought to be against that other guy. We ought to be, ought to be all in for Jesus, all for him. And so maybe you're listening. You say, you know what? I, I do want to be. I want to I want to get out of this place. I, I thought I was in the middle. I thought I thought I could do it later. But you really can't. You can't take that for granted. Some people have died and gone to hell thinking that they would do it later. Don't be that person. Their, their hell is full of people that said, I know it's true. I'm going to do it after. I'm going to have a so my yokes. I'm going to have fun over here. Then I'm going to get saved. Hell is full of people that understood the gospel, believed it was true and was going to do it later. Don't join them. Join the many that are going to be in heaven because they just said, yes, Lord. Yes, it's true. I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the grave. You deserve to be the Lord of my life. And I surrender to you. Um, and I, I pray that you would do that with us today. You can like these people here. They had the option. They, they could they could choose to drown in the blood of, of the bloodbath of Armageddon or they could have been washed clean in the blood of the lamb. They had that option. We have the option. Every generation has the option. This generation and every generation that's ever lived has had the, op uh, the opportunity to either be washed in the blood of the lamb or um, to die without him. And, it's, and, and the alternate to not receiving Christ is always horrific. It always ends in the lake of fire. So today we're at the place of judgment coming down. Either you're a believer and you read these things and you say, man, God is so good. I'm so glad to be with the lamb. So glad to be one of the a wheat, not a tear. I'm so glad that I'm, I'll, I'll be bundled together to be with God, not to be burned. And maybe there are those listening that would say, you know what, today is to, today is for me the day of salvation. If that's you, I want to pray for you and then I want to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now. Thank you for giving us your word to give us insight as to what is going on in the spiritual realm. What will happen when we die? What do we have to look forward to? What happens to people that know you and the people that don't know you? God, I pray that you've opened eyes and softened hearts and reveal truth to people today. And I pray that by your spirit, Lord, you would draw to yourself those who should come to you uh, even now. God, I thank you for those that are listening and they know there's a, there's a confidence that they belong to you. Their sins have been forgiven. Their lives are not the same. They've been transformed by the power of your spirit and through your word. God, thank you for the transforming work and power of your spirit and just what you do for those that have turned to you. But God, I pray now for those that may watch this, those that may be listening, that they need to receive your forgiveness. They, they, they stand in danger of judgment now, but they, they, they're, they're drawn to you now. God, I pray you would draw them all the way. And if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. The Bible says uh, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you would confess with your mouth 
the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so there's there's power in in believing, but also in confessing. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. If you're listening in for you, today is the day. Today is the day where you turn your life over to Christ. You've just heard a transforming word brought to you by Pastor Bill Buffington. What's swirling in your mind just now after what you've heard in today's message? Sometimes it takes a bit of time to fully process what was shared. Revelation is definitely one of those books that you have to almost sit and chew on, trying to discern what in the world it all means. But the good news is, God's given us His Word to help us know and understand what's ahead. What a gift. He didn't leave it all a mystery. He's revealing things on each page of this book, whether or not you're fully in the know of all that it means in this moment. Keep studying it on your own and digging into Scripture with an appetite that's ready to take in what God has for you. If you like the message you just heard, we're so glad. You'll find more solid teachings like this one from Pastor Bill Buffington at calvaryinglewood.org. Will you prayerfully consider spreading the good news with us? If so, locate the Give tab on our site. Don't forget, that's calvaryinglewood.org. This ministry is an outpouring of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. We're located in Inglewood, California. So if you have some extra time and are nearby, we'd love for you to attend one of our services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If there's a scheduling conflict, come Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We hope that this message has ministered to your heart and you have a little more peace next time listening to it. We look forward to our next time as Pastor Bill teaches in Revelation right here on A Transforming Word.